Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Now let me, let me pray before we read this. Father, we ask that you would bless this reading of your word for the glory of your name and the life-giving instruction of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? And your wrath according to the fear of you. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands this is the word of the Lord. Beneath the scorching heat of the sun and surrounded by sand as far as the eye could see, Moses very likely penned this prayer while he led the Israelites through the desert after their exodus in Egypt or from Egypt. And throughout this prayer, you may have just noticed, the eternality of God is repeatedly contrasted against the temporality of man, the constancy of God against the brevity of man, the solidity of God against the frailty of man. Verses 1 and 2 and 4 
before our creator God in whom we have our being and dwelling, before he formed the most ancient of mountains of the earth, he had already existed forever in ageless splendor. A thousand years passed by him like an afternoon because he has always been and he will always be. But we, on the other hand, verses 3, 5, 6, we exist within boundaries, boundaries which God has placed around us. We return to the dust from which he formed us. And, and all of us, all we, like grass, wither almost as quickly as we appear. As some of us live to be 70, verse 10. Others of us might live to be 80, but all our years are as frail as they are brief as toilsome as they are temporal. It wasn't always that way. If your heart groans when you contemplate, if your heart weeps with sadness when you contemplate the shortness of life, Ecclesiastes 3.11 shines a pretty good light on why that is. Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has placed eternity into your heart and mine. God has placed eternity upon our hearts. Not only did God intend for mankind to live forever, he hardwired us to know that he intended us to live forever. This is one of the reasons why death stings so badly. It, deep down, we know that death is an interruption. It runs contrary to our design. Death isn't supposed to be here. When God formed Adam's body from the dust of the earth, when he breathed the spirit of life into Adam's lungs, he didn't stamp on the bottom of Adam's foot some sort of expiration date. <laughs> Our human souls don't have a shelf life. Adam and Eve and you and I and all of us were created by God to live with God to the glory of God forever. And so what happened? What, what happened? Well, Moses reflects on this in verses 7, 8, and 9. Well, God, in, the, in his righteous anger, in his holy wrath, righteous anger, holy wrath, those, those aren't unmerited. He's, he's, he's righteous to be angry. We'll, we'll, we'll follow that out. He has placed, he's placed a limit 
on our once unlimited years. He has placed a cap over the longevity of our days. And, and let me tell you, this was one of the most merciful things he could have possibly done. You see, when Adam and Eve ate from the one tree of the Garden of Eden that God had deemed off limits to them, it was an act of cosmic treason against God. R.C. Sproul, former pastor, he's passed on now. A former pastor used to use that. When, when they ate of the tree, the one tree that God had said, you have everything else, but not this one. And when they ate of that one, it was cosmic treason. And their cosmic treason against God severed the relationship they had with God because God is holy. And his holy purity cannot mix with unholy impurity any more than oil can mix with water. The two cannot mix. And so God did create Adam and Eve and through them all mankind to dwell with him forever in wholeness and fullness and goodness and glory. But with their cosmic treason, if, if God if God didn't cut short their days, well, then they would be forced to exist apart from God and at enmity with God forever. Do you see why it was an act of mercy that in response to this cosmic treason, God said, from dust you came and from dust you will return. I'm going to put an end on what would have been eternity of separation between us. What a merciful thing to do. God doesn't want to be separated from you forever. He doesn't want to be separated from any of us forever. Now, it needs to be said here quickly that even after God has done everything on his end to reconcile us to himself, even after God has done everything to bring us back into eternal life and relationship with him, the world is still full of people who would rather continue in their sin and spend eternity apart from him and all his goodness. They would rather do that than turn from their sin and receive forgiveness and freedom and forever resurrected life. Even after the incarnation, when, when God himself came to earth as a man 
to do what the first Adam and the rest of us have all failed to do. Even after Jesus Christ lived his whole earthly life in glad, worshipful submission to God the Father, and even after Jesus Christ on the cross bore the penalty for our cosmic treason against God, and even after Jesus Christ was raised to life in order to prove that whoever believes in him will rise and will live forever on the other side of earthly death. Even after all that, even after God through Jesus Christ has done everything to reconcile us back to eternal life and relationship with him, the world is still full of people who would rather continue in their sin than turn from it. People who would rather spend eternity apart from God than with Him. And that is precisely what they will receive. Our souls have no expiration date. Every person, whether in Christ or outside of Christ, everyone will be resurrected. Some to death, some to life. And that forever. That doesn't have to be you. You do not have to be resurrected to eternal death for your cosmic treason and willful continuance in the things of this world and in sin when Jesus has moved heaven and earth to bring you back to him. It does not have to be you. And I urge it not to be. Confess with your mouth that you're a sinner deserving of hell and believe in your heart that Jesus has done everything to rescue you from that and you'll be saved. Would that our hearts would echo Moses' cry in verses seven, uh, 13 through 17. Would that this be our prayer. Oh, come, O oh Lord, return with compassion. Be glorified to save us, to save us from ourselves, not to destroy us. Hasten that wondrous morning when we will rejoice in your steadfast love for as many days as we have suffered under the tyranny of our own sin. Let your work, your salvific, redemptive work be shown to your people and let your power be shown to their children. There's a prayer. And may your gracious favor be upon us that we might live and work with our hands in such a way that anticipates the day of eternity that is coming. That right there, that we might live and work with our hands in such a way that anticipates the day of eternity that we have already been sealed for in Jesus, that right there, I think, summarizes perfectly the endeavor, the mission, the aim, the purpose, the joy of the Christian life. Whether you are old or young or or rich, or poor, or black, or white, having confessed your sin to God, and having 
come to believe that the risen Christ has done everything needed to rescue you from the penalty and power of your sin, your endeavor, believer, and mine, is to now live our day-to-day lives in such a way that anticipates the eternity that we've already been welcomed into. That day when our physical bodies will be resurrected like Jesus's, when our physical bodies will be resurrected and glorified like Jesus's, when we, you and I, when we live and move and laugh and work, we'll have responsibilities and we'll worship in the renewed world with the saints around the table of the Lamb. That's the day we're living for right now. This is yours and my endeavor as followers of Christ to live right now in anticipation for and demonstration of that day when the veil will be lifted and we will see him. Because we won't be merely If you're in Christ, I'll say it this way, you won't merely be saved on that great day. You are saved for that great day right now where you sit. And the good and godly and meaningful and purposeful and joyful life right now has been availed to you by the work of Christ. You don't have to settle for the mediocre life of the world, the less than mediocre The good and godly life has been availed to you right now. The life of joy. The life of meaning. The life of fearlessness. Now some of us might be thinking, okay Chris, (laughs) but how? How are we to live our day-to-day life right now? in anticipation of and in demonstration for the, the, that, that day of eternity that is coming. How are we to do that right now? Well, verse 12 of our passage has come to be one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture as it pertains to practical wisdom. Psalm 90 verse 12 is worth its weight in gold. In verse 12, Moses models for us the key, the secret, the recipe, the serum, the whatever you want to call it. He models it for us, right? This is how to attain, to walk in, to enjoy the good, godly life that Christ gives to you right now. And I'm not talking about your best life now like that charlatan on TV says. That's not what I'm talking. No, Learjets and Rolls Royces, that's not your best life now, Joel. Come on. What a quack. In verse 12, Moses models for us the key right here. Moses asks God, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days That might seem counterintuitive. (laughs) It does to me. But living wisely and walking in wisdom right now, 
begins when we acknowledge our finitude. When we treat every day as though it is our last day, we start acting wisely. And in that wisdom, we taste real joy. Because what matters most to God all of a sudden starts to matter most to us. And the way we were designed, we start to live into. And the Lord's like, see, I knew what I was doing when I designed you. And I know what I'm doing when I say, walk wisely, follow my voice. I'll give you the life that you hunger for in your heart. That we may get a heart of wisdom to make the most of our days in this life. And that we may get a heart of wisdom to live anticipation for the day of eternity. Moses models for us the prayer that we should all be praying right now. Teach me to number my days. Teach me to put a number on them. Um, one of the Kardashians... I never thought I would say that phrase in a sermon. <laughs> Claire's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Good for you, Claire. One of the Kardashians allegedly bought a bunch of marbles. That you can't make this. It's like, this is actually a really good thing. It just sounds silly at first. I actually want to do this. One of the Kardashians bought a bunch of marbles. And with one marble representing one week of her life, she counted out enough marbles to add up relatively to 70 to 80 years of weeks. And she placed them in a big jar, see-through jar so she could see them. I don't know if she still continues to do this. I'm sure probably gonna do this. But at the end of every week, she would take one marble out and toss it away. And it would, it was, it would, her, the point was to help her to visualize how much time she had left to do the things she wanted to do. Now, in the heart of an unbeliever, all the things that we want to do are but folly. But in the heart of a Christian, renewed heart, made new by the Holy Spirit, applied filled with the good news of the gospel and the hope of a future glory. In the heart of a Christian, looking at a, at a glass bowl full of marbles, seeing those marbles, one by one, leave, week after week, that would make me want to do a lot of things for the one who saved me. And like the one who has saved me, I want to be like the one who has saved me. I want to look like the one who has saved me so that when I see him face to face, I'm going to be a reflection of his own glory. I think that the, the marbles is a brilliant idea. And not for foolish ends, but for wise ends. Here is an exercise that I think every one of us in the room should give ourselves to. Suppose that in exactly 10 years from right now, in 10 years, your life in this present form on earth will come to a close and you will look at Jesus in his eyes. You will look at your creator in his eyes. Suppose 
that you knew, without, beyond a shadow of a doubt, in 10 years from right now, right this moment, is there anything that you would start doing differently? Surely there is. Surely there is. But what? What would you start doing, believing, acting with? What would you start doing and what would you, what would you stop doing? Maybe if it's 10 years, that's a while, a decade, that's, that's a good while. Maybe you'd start spending a little more time with family members, visiting your parents. Maybe spend a little more time around the dining table with your, with your kids if you have kids. Maybe you'd stop fretting over every news story. Firstly, we weren't created to be able to handle the barrage of awful, dreadful news that is constantly surrounding us. Maybe you'd stop fretting over those things. Maybe you'd get a little more serious. You have 10 years. 10 years before you look Jesus in the eyes. Maybe you'd get a little more serious about, about prayer, about the gathering of the saints, about worship, about surrender, about God's word. When we tell ourselves we only have 10 years left, we begin to see that a lot of the things we spend our time and effort and money on, they're not that important at all. They're not doing anything to embellish our treasuring of Christ and our reflection of him. In fact, the majority of the things we spend our time doing, thinking about, spending money on, effort on, in fact, many of those things, the majority of those things are probably even diminishing our treasuring of Christ. Diminishing our reflection of him. Now, let's continue the exercise. And let's move the theoretical date forward. Suppose that in exactly one year from today, one year, you will come face to face with Christ. I can't, I can't even. Is there anything that you would start doing differently today? Yeah, you bet there is. It is doubtful. Sorry. It is doubtful that you, would, you and I would spend anywhere near the time that maybe we're currently spending or that most people do watching morally bankrupt reruns, endlessly scrolling through social media, obsessing over stocks that we can't change, reading headlines that only sink deeper and deeper and deeper our hearts into a hopelessness that Christ never intended for us. I bet you and I would spend a lot more time meditating on God's word 
and eating his promises therein. I bet we would spend a lot more time heralding the truths that we know, and maybe we don't know all that much about the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I bet what we do know, we would spend a heck of a lot more time intentionally forming our children with it. I bet you and I would spend a lot more time with believers. I bet we would spend a whole lot more time with people whose lives point us toward and stir our affections for the king. Suppose that in exactly one year from today, you will come face to face with Christ. Surely there are things you would like to change. Here's a question. What sins would you finally get around to saying, you know what, it's time to die already. You have plagued me too long. I'm over it. Death to sin. What apologies would you make? To whom? You have one year. Who would you say sorry to? Surely someone. What neighbors or coworkers of yours would you finally get around to sharing the gospel with? Because if you die off and an unbeliever moves in, who's going to share the gospel with them? They're quite literally dying to hear it. If you knew without a doubt that one year from today you would face up with your creator, savior, Lord... I bet you, like me, I bet every last moment would be spent focusing our attention on things that really matter. And we would do really well right now to ask God in the quiet of our hearts, teach me to do this. Teach me to number my days because when I stare down, 365 days from now, I will meet you face to face. Holy smokes, what I used to think was a priority no longer is, it's like dust in the wind. And now all of a sudden, the things that really matter in this life, they matter more to me because my heart has been filled by the Holy Spirit and so has yours. Now let's continue the exercise. And I'm closing. But let's move that theoretical date forward one more time. Tomorrow, tomorrow, you will meet Christ face to face. What would you do today? <laughs> this is what it means to teach us to number our days. What would you do today? Now all of this is going to end on our, 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 our premium, the, our, our most wondrous thing we could do is simply entrust ourselves to what has already been done. We're getting there. We're getting there. You know what I would have my wife and my kids do and my brothers and sisters that I'm in community group with and all of my church family, you know what I would have you do if I knew that tomorrow, tomorrow morning, I'm gonna stare in the eyes of my creator, redeemer, savior, Lord, I would have you all remind me of nothing but the good news that is so good, it will never not be good. I would have you sing with me, nothing in my hand I bring, 
simply to the cross I cling. I would have you sing from me when he shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found and I will be because I'll be dressed in his righteousness alone and I will thereby faultlessly stand before his throne forever. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know Tomorrow, if I meet Jesus, I ain't bringing anything of my own to the table to show him. I'm just going to say, look at your hands. Those scars were for me. And now I get to be yours forever, face to face. Would that our hearts would echo Moses' cry. And even just... 13 through after verse 12 with all the wisdom in the world he's like come lord return with compassion yes be glorified to save us not destroy us and in christ that is fulfilled hasten that wondrous morning when we shall rejoice in your steadfast love for as many days as we have suffered under the tyranny of our own sins let your work be shown to your people let your power be shown to my kids And may your gracious favor ever be upon us. And it will be. Because last I checked, the scriptures don't end at Psalm 90. They keep continuing. And the last I checked, Jesus lived, died, and rose, and ascended, and he is coming back for me and for you. This is what we celebrate at the Lord's table. This is the meal that we celebrate at the Lord's table. We, we acknowledge there are a lot of things. There's a million and one things that I can and should be doing differently with my life when I am taught to number my days. But I thank God that at the end of the day, I'm not saved literally because I got everything right. No, the only thing I got right is my Savior who got everything right. That's what we're celebrating. Repentantly, we come forward to the, to the table where the, the bread and the cup point us toward that body and blood that was broken and poured out, shed for you and me to not just simply wipe us kind of clean, but to remove as far as the east is from the west our every transgression when you If you have a mustard seed of faith in Jesus, in his completed work, when you come forward in a moment to take of these elements, you're going to be doing so in the perfection of Christ. The Father is going to look and say, wow, perfect son, perfect daughter, my own. I am so pleased with you. And I will never not be pleased with you. Because righteous blood has forever washed away your guilt. And it can never return. And I've also given you my Holy Spirit so that guess what? If you're given more than just until tomorrow, maybe you're given 48 hours from now, number your days and the Holy Spirit that I've given you in you will teach you to walk in my ways wisely and you will enjoy life more than you ever have with the pleasures of the world because you'll be sitting at my banquet table. This is what we're celebrating at communion. And if you haven't gathered it already, the the elements, the the, the bread and the cup, are this supper, this new covenant meal is for believers. If, If you aren't surrendered 
to, to the life, death, resurrection of Christ, you're not entrusting yourself, your sinfulness, to be washed away from him and his power to reconcile. This isn't for you yet. Not yet. Don't take it yet. Yet. Take Christ today. Take him. Take him. And then tell your kids about him. And your neighbors and your coworkers. And ask him to help you to limit your days because there is wisdom when we live for the eternal day that is right around the corner. And don't get so nearsighted in the right now, right? Take Christ and you will be forgiven for everything, everything, past, present, future. Take him. Believers, let's take of the Lord's Supper together as a family, this new covenant meal that celebrates the fact that by grace we have been saved through faith. This isn't of our own doing, not from concept to completion. It's a gift of God so that we wouldn't boast. Nobody who comes up to this table gets to be a boaster. This table is off limits to boasting. There is but one boast, and his name is Jesus. And that's what we celebrate at the Lord's table. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to try and stop crying. And we're going to worship by, uh, I'll, I'll invite the servers to come forward. We're going to worship by, if you are a believer of Christ, we're going to take of this meal together. And Ed and Diane are going, to, are going to sing and create an atmosphere, if you will, of worship while we do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, let your name be hallowed in this time, in this place, in these elements, in the posture of our hearts as we come down the aisle to take. I pray, Lord, that we would examine ourselves and that we would rightly see how guilty we are in and of ourselves apart from your most amazing grace and that we would glory all the more in the completed work of Jesus, who said, and he meant it, and I believe it, in fact, my life is staked upon it, he said this, it is finished, Chris. And for every believer in this room, it is finished. And I pray that we would behold that, that we would know that, that we would taste that in our mouths as we taste of the bread and the cup. Be glorified in this time. May we repent, and may we also celebrate all at the same time, because of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished on our behalf. It's in his name we pray, amen.